Exciting all new episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud part of the Fire and Water podcast and the Galaxy Far, Far Away. I am Ryan Daly, back to host a Star Wars movie review show for the first time since 2016's Rogue One. So that should tell you something about, you know, stuff. <clears throat> jo- joining me to help us talk about Star Wars Episode 9 The Rise of Skywalker. First up, uh, the host of many, many shows here on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and he is—he has a thousand generations of Jedi living in him now, or at least a thousand Twitter handles. It's Mr. Rob Kelly. How are you, Rob? Call me Rob Palpatine. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Nice. <laughs> And next up is another member of the Fire and Water Network who co-hosts Superman Movie Minutes, the Supermates podcast. And um, you might also maybe find him hanging out with Lando at the Pasana Festival of the Ancestors, or as David Ace Gutierrez called it, Space Burning Man. It is Mr. Chris Franklin. How are you, Chris? Hey, kid. (laughs) Nice, nice. Um, Yeah, so The Rise of Skywalker. Before the movie came out to mass audiences, Forbes magazine called this the worst Star Wars movie ever made. Oh, jeez. First of all, were they correct? Was that that accurate? God, no. No. No, that's ridiculous. Okay, clearly somebody at Forbes uh, needed to up their click rate, so they came up with the juiciest headline they could find. No, that is objectively not true. As long as there is a Star Wars movie called The Phantom Menace that exists, no other movie will be the worst Star Wars movie ever made. (laughs) 
Chris? No, 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 not not even close. I mean, there's there is no part and honestly, any of these three movies that get as bad as some of the the acting that's on the screen in the in the prequels. And I don't hate the prequels, but there's some bad acting in those prequels. There's no bad acting in these movies. That alone makes us better than them. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I know, you know, we, we've got friends within this community. Some of them are apologists for the prequels. Some of them truly, I think, inexplicably love Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3. I don't, I don't get that love, but... Yeah, I, I think all five of these Disney movies so far, as flawed as they have been, have been better than any of those prequels by a wide, considerable margin. Now, I went into this movie... I mean, you guys know, you were there, you heard it. The Last Jedi really did a whammy on me. Uh, it, it messed with my head in ways that I couldn't give voice to for a long time because... I didn't come out of the movie hating it. I didn't think it was garbage. I didn't understand what a lot of the hate directed at it was. But it well, also because you you hate women and minorities, Ryan. I mean, yes, that's exactly. The, that's exactly. a lot. I mean, and, and I think they should definitely get rid of all of their social media accounts so we don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I didn't hate it, but it also didn't make me happy. And it really like it kind of took until this one was coming out for me to see that. Because of the backtracking of what, like how what that did for the Force Awakens and what it was doing for itself, I kind of went. And, I was like, this movie is going to have to do almost a whole trilogy's worth of story in itself, basically to advance the plot. Because <laughs> and I it like, tried, <laughs> and, and it really, really tried. So, because of that, once we got to this movie, like within a couple of weeks of the movie, I'm like, I'm kind of excited for this one just to see if they can pull it off, just almost as a novelty. Is this going to be entertaining? Because it could actually be fresh and something new. Because of that, when I left the theater, I found myself saying, wow, there were a ton of problems with this movie, and yet they didn't bother me the way I thought they were. So on a pure entertainment value... And maybe I was colored because so much of it was fan service. And I've, I've mentioned this elsewhere. I think Avengers Endgame had a ton of fan service, but it was fan service that was in service of the story and the narrative. I felt like this one had a lot of fan service that was just trying to repay and just trying to buy back the goodwill that had been squandered amongst a vocal portion of the fandom, whether or not it's it's a majority minority, I don't know, but a lot of people are pissed off at Star Wars going into this, and this one did a lot to try and get them back. Probably too much. But I still left the theater thinking, I was entertained. I liked this movie. I think of all of the five Disney movies, and time will tell, my opinion might change a lot over time, but at this point, I'm like... I maybe like this movie the most because I finally felt like the heroes that I wanted to see, the new cast, is in the driver's seat, and they're kind of taking over. So, not necessarily like ranking, but kind of just big picture likes, dislikes, pros, cons of this one? Well, I mean, I, I did like that. I like that, uh, that that they gave Ray and Finn and Poe were definitely, like you said, they they were in the driver's seat in this one. Um, I didn't have as much problem with the fan service because not only was this, you know, okay, it was apologizing somewhat for Last Jedi, but it was also wrapping up like a, a nine uh, film series. So they, you know, I mean, 
there, you're going to get callbacks to, to 40 years ago. But, I mean, overall, one thing I really enjoyed about this movie, and, I mean, I've heard people criticize it, is, man, you just hit the ground running right with it. There's nothing it, – it go. it's like two and a half hours long, but it feels like you're in a theater for like an hour because it's just – it goes by at such a clip. But it, for the most part, I feel like the, the, the steps the characters take in the, their story – is still served well, despite the fact that the majority of the movie takes place over 16 hours. If, <laughs> if you can believe all this happens in 16 hours, but uh, that, that's the first thing off the bat. That then I'll let you know Rob talk. But I just I, I the pace of it, you know. I, I mean, we start media res really. I mean, it's almost like the trailers were a part of the of, of the movie because you know we heard Palpatine and they say you know he's a voice from beyond the grave, you know, and all that. So it's like. They made the marketing part of the movie almost, which is c- kind of interesting and meta in a way. So, well, can, let me ask you guys: Have you seen it more than once, uh, Chris? I know you've seen it at least twice, right? Right, I've seen it twice. I've seen okay, it. Okay, Brian, you've seen it twice. Okay, I've only seen it the one time, the night it came out. So I, I'm trying to recall certain things uh, that you know from three weeks ago or whatever it was. Um, I the more I've been thinking about this movie, I enjoyed it when I watched it. I really did. And I, I'm, oh, by the way, Ryan, can we are we jumping right into spoilers? Can we say things that might spoil? I mean, yeah, is anybody uh, listening to this that hasn't seen the movie yet? I, I can't imagine. I mean, big picture, the emperor is back after 35 years or something. Whatever. He's got this new master plan that involves like a hundred or a thousand star destroyers, each one built with a Death Star laser that have some for some reason been buried underground in a planet or something. And he's going to unleash them on the galaxy to basically kick the galaxy's ass for some reason. And the only way to find them, basically there's a a series of chases where they have to find some Sith artifact that will lead them to this map. And during the course of this thing, Rey is confronted by, you know, ghosts of her past. And she finds out that she is the Emperor's granddaughter, um, which may or may not have an effect on the plot. (laughs) I don't actually know. I don't think it does. Um... But yeah, then one thing, and and like Kylo Ren has a sort of redemption arc at the end where he comes back to the good side to help her, and at the end the good guys win because everybody likes Lando, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's kind of like the magic bullet that it takes, because, yeah, yeah, we'll come back to that. (laughs) Okay, all right. Spoilers, because. Okay, because the reason I, I was asking that is because, like, you know, I enjoyed this movie... Uh, there were moments where I, you know, I, I was being served, you know, uh, a, a hot cup of fan service and I was there for it. You know what I mean? Like I saw it with uh, Corey Drew and 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 the point where friggin Han Solo shows up. I was like, I turned to Corey and I was like, J.J. Abrams, you son of a bitch. You know, I was, so, <laughs> I was I was I was mad at him because I was enjoying it so much. But my thoughts over the past couple of weeks have sort of congealed into I sort of feel about this movie the way I felt about Star Trek six, the undiscovered country, where I think I think most people think that's a good movie. And I think it's a good movie. Um, but as a installment of the original crew, I think you can definitely see that the cracks are showing and they managed to squeak one more winner out of that crew. I think if they had done another movie, it might have been disastrous. I really think you if you really view that movie with uh, you know non fan glasses, you can see that it's pretty creaky. Uh, but they just managed to pull it off, and that's kind of how we feel about this movie. Except Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country was built as a final voyage of these characters. Now, while of course a lot of the characters in this movie are being sent off, at the same time Disney is hoping that this will be 
the next Star Wars movie will be an all new thing. And I felt that this movie was so fan service heavy. It was so much of J.J. Abrams like, hey, you like Ewoks? Here they are. You know, you like Wedge? Here he is. You know, like it was just (laughs) one thing after the next that I honestly walked out of that theater going, where does Star Wars go after this? I don't if if this is what fans want, which is just everything that they loved from the 80s given back to them, but kind of older and fatter. Where, where is there to go with new trilogies? And that made me a little sad because I want Star Wars to continue as a movie franchise. But for the life of me, I can't think where it goes. I know that, you know, it's not going to be, you know, obviously Han, Luke and Leia. But I just I don't know. It just felt so slavishly devoted to what J.J. Abrams thinks Star Wars fans want that I just feel like it it almost closed in on itself. And that made me kind of sad because I, I, I want star I want there to be more Star Wars movies, but I just don't see where they go after this. I agree. I definitely think that it's I mean they they played it safe across the board and I felt like that was the kind of the plan like the the issue with the fan service was do whatever you can to to, to give the fans what they want. And because elements of this storyline, like with Ray being the descendant of somebody historic, somebody famous that we think we know and giving Kylo Ren a, a redemption arc and everything like that. Those were things that I predicted, you know, after the first one came out because they felt like they were in line with previous Star Wars that we had seen. So I was like, yeah, that's kind of what I am expecting. Then after The Last Jedi, I was like, you know what? Ryan Johnson said, we're not going to give you, we're not going to play it safe. We're not going to give you what you were expecting. We're going to do something more interesting. We're going to say Ray is nobody, and we're going to say that your destiny isn't determined by who your parents and your grandparents were, that anybody can really be the hero. And you know what? Kylo Ren isn't going to be the secret hero that you want him to be. He's going to double down and be a more interesting villain than we've had before. And I was like, oh, okay, you're doing something different. Where are you going to go with that? And this movie was like, nope. Nope, we're not actually gonna we're not gonna chase down those interesting original ideas. We're gonna go back to the safe thing that you that you said you wanted beforehand. And so at the on the one hand, I'm like, well, okay, that's because it's safe. It's kind of like comfort food. That's what this was. It was a comfort mm-hmm. food movie yeah. in a lot of ways. So because that that was even something. I mean, I as soon as I got out of the theater, I, I talked to Shag for about this for a long time, and I was like, right from the beginning, I thought I was going to hate. The Emperor coming back as soon as they announced that. I was like, that's a dumb idea. And a midway through the movie, I'm like, you know what? It's not bothering me the way I thought it would. It, it doesn't, because I kind of just got to the movie's level. I'm like, okay, if this is in fact the culmination of a nine story saga, a nine movie saga, and if Emperor was the big bad for the first two thirds, then what do you expect from this one? Like, it, it, it kind of feels appropriate that he would be in here. Now, again, they could have done something more interesting. They could have flipped it on its head and given you something new, but they went safe. But the way they did it, I'm like, okay. And I felt the same thing. I was like making Ray his granddaughter. I was like, this doesn't make any kind of sense. Like, what is just like now? Because now everybody on the internet is like, wait, when did Palpatine have sex? Who did he have sex with? How did this, like, well, wait, wait, was his was his kid, like, some failure who wasn't a, a, a Sith or wasn't a Jedi or something? Like, you're chasing down more stories just to kind of plug those gaps, just to make it so that she is actually descendant of somebody important. And ultimately, I don't know that it mattered to the story, because if you take Palpatine at his word, he was going to have Kylo Ren kill her 
and then he was going to pass his power on to Kylo Ren, and Kylo Ren was going to basically be the host for Palpatine's essence. And then when that fails, he decides to do it, he's going to do the same thing to Rey. It's like, well, in that case, then all he needed was a healthy, force-sensitive body, and it didn't matter who she was. This movie doesn't hold up to harsh or even casual scrutiny. But something about it, and, and Chris, maybe it was just the, the pacing and everything, I was fine with it. And where I really found myself, like, you know, 15 minutes into this movie, I'm like, mm, I'm shaking my head, I'm not liking this at all. But an hour later, I'm like, I'm really, really excited. And it was kind of the second act. Like, once they go on the, the basically the treasure hunt, the MacGuffin chase, which every adventure movie has a MacGuffin, so I don't know why, that, why anybody would call that a, a, a problem with the movie. But once they start going to these different planets looking for these things, and you see just the adventure of the heroes playing together and riffing off of each other, and... Ray's emotional journey, I was loving that because for the first time, it wasn't reminding me of a previous Star Wars adventure. It was something different that J.J. hadn't given us before, and I loved that part. I loved the middle chunk of this. Yeah, uh, those parts really, really, uh, you know, jumped out at me, too. I will say, though, that I think part of the problem with it, the whole thing is, is that to me, and and I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan, but... I don't feel like Star Wars in and of itself, like the original movie, is a very deep movie. It's a popcorn film. It's meant to harken back to the movie serials that that George Lucas loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so it's, you know, it it can have, it's got the hero's journey theme, of course. But this, you know, I think Ryan Johnson tried to make it more about something in The Last Jedi and give it more of a... Uh, you know, more of a, I don't know, more introspective kind of adult feel by saying, you know, you know, I'm not giving you exactly what you expect. I'm, I'm, you know, you know, the past is dead. You know, Kylo Ren himself said that in the movie. And then, you know, now, now JJ picked up the pieces. He flipped the board back over and put them back on the board, you know, the way it was, you know, when he left. And, but I will say though, that making Ray a Palpatine does, you know, it does tie into that whole, basically the story is, your family's what you make it. So, you know, Ray rejects this blood because Luke even says, you know, there's things that's thicker than blood. And so, you know, she chooses the family that quote unquote raised her, you know, versus this awful family lineage she has. So, I mean, it's not, that's not like super deep, but you know, I think it does. I think it does work. And, and I think, I don't know. We just thank God Shag was wrong. Right. I mean, oh, that's, man. that's the most oh, important thank thing. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I breathed such a sigh of relief. I was like, oh, thank goodness, because that I couldn't have lived with that. Shag is living and dying with his theory that she was a Skywalker, that she was Ben Solo's sister. Oh, oh, God, I was so happy. That was not not the case for so many reasons. I mean, I I, I feel like on the one hand, it does dump on Ryan Johnson. Yeah, Ryan Johnson's whole notion of that, that she's nobody. Uh, because it's like she's she's the opposite of a nobody. She's a huge somebody. She's the daughter of the granddaughter of the friggin' emperor. But and then he say, yeah, but but the theme is that you can reject you 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 chart your own path, and it doesn't matter what your blood is because you know you're you and you make your own choices. But then I realized, well, but that's that's Luke Skywalker's journey. So I mean, it's like we're just remixing this again. It's I like J.J. Abrams, and he certainly knows how to. Um, I actually think J.J. Abrams would be a better 
uh, producer uh, than director. Because I just think that like he knows how to put things together in a way that make them really palatable. And he certainly has an eye for talent. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, all credit to him for finding Daisy Ridley. I mean, they put, they put the entire trilogy, the end of the trilogy, on her shoulders in this film. And she carries it, which is really impressive. That was my favorite part, I think, is that it's finally Ray's story and she knocked it out of the park. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I'm amazed that you know they managed to find someone who could really – because they really kind of shunt John Boyega and Oscar Isaac kind of off to the side a little bit. I mean they're in the movie, but they really don't get a whole lot to do. It's really her and the fact – and you know she gets the final shot of this, mo- of this movie, which is pretty amazing. And she really – she does a great job. But he and, – and all credit to him for finding these people. You know, he knew – John Boyega, he's the right guy, and Daisy Ridley, and and Adam Driver. You know, I mean, he, I mean, Adam Driver is a great villain in this. But uh, I, I just like you, Ryan. I really enjoyed this movie, but as I got out of it, I just kind of went. Ah, I just wish that they had pushed this a little further. And I I understand some people's view of of Last Jedi is that it kind of breaks the toys a little bit, and you're not supposed to do that. But I sort of I don't know. My just to establish a baseline, Last Jedi is my favorite of these movies outside of the original trilogy. And I like the fact that he pushed things in certain directions. And I wished, I knew that once they brought age Abrams back in, that that was not going to, he was not going to go down that road further, but I just, I don't know. Like I said, I just wish it hadn't been quite so slavish to uh, what had come before that said, I also enjoyed it all. I mean like that offhand line that Lando has about that him and Luke went on some mission I was like, oh, what mission is that? I want, to, I want to see that mission, you know, which I know I never will. But I was like, oh, it, it, it reminded me again. Of course it did, because that's what it was designed to. But it reminded me of the line from Empire Strikes Back, where Han Solo says that bounty hunter we ran into on Ord Mantel changed my mind. I was like, oh, my God, I was so excited. There was some mission I never saw. And just hearing Lando Calrissian say that him and Luke did something that I never got to see just filled me with such glee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was cool. Getting to Kylo Ren and his sort of arc in this. <laughs> First of all, I mean, if you if you need no other sort of visual cue of the sort of conversation that is being had between J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson throughout this trilogy, putting him back in that helmet for no reason. Like, he welds the helmet <laughs> back and he wears it like two scenes and then it's like, why do you even... He, uh, so anyway, what did we think of Adam Driver and Kylo Ren in this movie? I, you know, it it shouldn't have worked, honestly. I mean, they seeded they seeded him a redemption arc for him from from get go, really. You know, I mean, honestly, even after he he killed Han Solo, and you didn't think, well, there's no going back for him, but you still you still kind of figured they would eventually. And I mean, the fact that he didn't fire on Leia in the Last Jedi, you know, he resisted that. But I, I think it's a testament to to Adam Driver being a, a really good actor actually that that in the amount of time he does do the face turn you know the way he does it because i mean they don't spell it out for you i've seen you know videos online where they're like you know leia cleansed him of of palpatine's influence <laughs> well, we, we don't know that we just know basically that she that she reached out to him and then and expired you know i mean she basically she basically touched him in some way, you know, and with the force. And we don't know the extent of that. They don't come out and tell you, which I'm glad they don't come out and tell you. But, I mean, me and Cindy were talking about that, and we've caught ourselves doing it. The little, the, I mean, after he 
turns to the light side when he's fighting those knights of Ren, and you know Ray's about to give up, and when he gets the the lightsaber, you know reaches behind his back and gets it, and he does that little thing with his shoulders. That is a Harrison the, Ford thing. Yeah, that's a Harrison Ford thing, and it, 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 it just and Cindy and I have been doing that in the house since then. You know, it's just, it's just this fun little bit. It's just it's it's there's no dialogue. It's just it's like you know other actors this would not have worked. You know, I mean we and not picking on Hayden Christensen, but if you put the wrong actor with the wrong direction in a role like this, it doesn't work. And Adam Driver makes it work. So. I don't know in other hands if it would have worked, but I I thought it was very I thought it was really successful, especially in the amount of time they had to do it. I've seen Adam Driver in a lot of other stuff lately because obviously he's exploded, mm-hmm. and he's he's been excellent in everything. So uh, it's not a fluke that they just got, that he was good in this part. He's been good in everything. He's just a terrific actor. <laughs> they just again they found the right guy for it because he's he's crushing it in like every movie I see him in. I mean, when we, the two of us in Shag, when we talked about The Force Awakens on your show, Rob, um, I, I mean, the question came up at the end of this trilogy, is he a character who can be redeemed? Can he turn to the light side and have that kind of arc? And I don't remember if you guys were Shag, but somebody was like, no way, he killed Han Solo. He can't, no. he can't yeah. be redeemed. Nope. He can't go back to the light. I think they heard that thought and they were like, well, if somebody's going to bring him back, it has to be Han Solo. And I think that's probably getting Harrison Ford back to do that probably made it acceptable or palatable for a lot of the audience. It's like see, it, I, that, that makes it more believable if he's if he actually has that scene with Harrison Ford. See, I, I didn't I didn't see it that way because I figured that the reason that Harrison Ford is in this movie is because they didn't have Carrie Fisher available to do that scene. Yeah. And and I think what's the only way you could get Harrison Ford back even though he clearly doesn't want to do these any movies anymore, as a sort of favor to Carrie Fisher in some way. You know what I mean? Like, if you're J.J. Abrams, that's the pitch. Yeah. You say to Harrison Ford, look, I know you don't want to do this anymore, but we really were going to have all these scenes with Carrie, but she's gone. Can you fill in the space? And I could see him saying, yeah, for Carrie, for Carrie I'll do it. And that's how I and, – and I think – I mean they did an exceptional job of weaving in what footage they had of Carrie Fisher oh, into yeah. this movie. I mean there was times where I was like, how did they get her saying that? Because it <laughs> seems so – I mean – and I know that they that they backfilled. You know, They had the scenes and then they wrote the dialogue to lead into what she or they already had her saying. But I was pretty impressed how well they were able to do it. I mean, I the fact that they didn't digitize it at all, they didn't do like a you know a, a digitized lay except for that one shot in the flashback. Um, the, but the fact that they they kept to their word and they didn't recreate her digitally, I was really impressed how well that they weaved her into this story. And you know, you can judge the movie as a, as a finished piece, but you also do have to live in the real world of. They were really dealt an unfortunate hand, yeah. Because as as everyone knows, these movies were built around Han, Luke, and Leia, and then Carrie Fisher dies. I mean, what do you? I mean, good lord, what are they supposed to do? You know, I mean, so especially for, for because much I of, mean, they they've said like they were building up like Hans was going to have his send off in Episode Seven, Luke in Episode Eight, yep. and they were designing yep. this so that Carrie would have her moment in Episode Nine, and she dies yeah. before they get to that. So. For as much as a patchwork job this movie had to be, it, it holds together remarkably well when you realize that basically the main character, maybe not the main character, but your the the, the focus of your side plot has died on you. And I, I couldn't help but notice that she gets top billing in this movie. 
she's the first name you see in the credits. It says mm-hmm. the Force Awakens Carrie Fisher, which I thought was a really nice tribute that she got top billing uh, and finally in a Star Wars movie. It's interesting, too, because, you know, in the, the, the first Force Awakens, it was like, you know, the crawl. They mentioned Luke Skywalker. It's all about we've got to, you know, we've got to find where Luke is. We've got to find Luke Skywalker. And then in The Last Jedi, you know, we find out that Luke's an old hermit grump that doesn't want anything to do with anybody. And, and so, I mean, in, in in this movie, I mean, it's like Leia is the hope. You know, she is the, the mm-hmm. shining example. It's not It's not Luke anymore. It's Leia. Leia is... Leia is the hero that everybody, everybody looks up to, which I think is really cool. And it was a nice, another nice tribute to, to Carrie Fisher and the fact that Princess Leia was such an important character for, you know, I mean, a, a female hero in, in cinema, you know, in pop mm-hmm. culture. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I saw, I saw a tweet. Somebody was kind of making that same point that they were saying their favorite character in Star Wars is General Leia. Not Princess Leia, but General Leia in the sequel trilogy as an older woman because she's the one character who never stopped fighting. When things went bad, Han quit and ran off and did his thing, and and Luke quit and ran off to be a hermit and die alone. Leia never stopped the fight. You know, like even when she couldn't hold the blaster, she stuck. She created this resistance out of nothing, and she led the fight. and And she was the woman who wouldn't back down. Um, and and they were making the case that that she's why she's like the strongest character of all of the people in Star Wars, uh, for a reason like that. And 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 yeah, I I think that's that's touching and that's really important. And getting back to her scenes, I mean, there were there were times when I was watching it when I was thinking I don't know if it, this was worth it because some of the dialogue that they did have to sit around her was really really clunky, um, and some of those scenes that they used her in did not work for me. Um, and I felt like they just had to bring in Maz Kanata to speak cryptically to explain yeah. a lot of things. And, yeah, they and did. all of that dialogue got really annoying for a character that I really liked in The Force Awakens. Uh, Maz Kanata has been like really diminishing returns every time. But, I, I mean, we will never know. I mean, if you'd put Leia in that scene in this movie on the wreckage of the Death Star standing there talking to Kylo, whether she was alive or whether it's her like as a ghost or something, if you had had a scene between them... Maybe it would have had the same emotional punch. Maybe it would have been stronger. I don't know. All I know is, for what we got, I think the scene between Adam Driver and Harrison Ford in this one worked because we had a scene with them before. We never had a scene between Adam Driver and Carrie Fisher. Um, they, mm. they never had a scene together in this trilogy, so we never had really a a Ben and Leia moment. So to construct one for this one, I think would have been a little bit artificial, but we at least had a Han and Ben moment. So to bring them back, I think made that work. And also because at the end, Ben is going to say, dad, I love you. And Han stops him and says, I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was great. Is that in your, do you, in your guys headcanon, is that a memory? Is that like a false memory or is that, is Han like sort of, I don't want to say he's a force ghost cause he's not, but is, is Han like, okay somewhere as a spirit because i i i thought his death scene in force awakens was was wonderful because i really felt it in my you know my heart is like oh no but i i hate the idea that han solo died falling like that <laughs> like i can't live with that so i i think it was in his in ben's head i mean i think they went out of the way to explain that that it's not the same as a force <clears throat> ghost he's like he's like you're just a memory and he's like yeah but i'm your memory so i think that was just kylo like in ben's head yeah, yeah, I, I think he. Yeah, exactly. I think he, 
he he's got a very clear idea of who his dad was, though, because he he was very he was very much Han Solo uh, in that conversation. And yeah, I, you know, I don't as much as I'm glad they gave Leia all her due. I think the fans needed to see Han talking to him because you had to, for me, I don't know if I would have accepted the fact, well, you still killed your dad, dude. You know, I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care what you did. You know, I don't care if you got to change your heart, but to have them both kind of like, she makes a sacrifice and then Han shows up for the pep talk. um, You know, I, I think that, that the two of them together, had to seal the redemption for me. I, I don't, I'm not sure it would have worked any other way. <laughs> Reese, Andrew, do you guys hear that? You can't kill your dad. <laughs> You're not getting redeemed no matter what you do. <laughs> That's right. He keeps trying. He keeps trying. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, well, then the other, the third old ghost in this movie, which is Luke, what did we think about his presence in the movie? Luke is definitely a dial back from the, the, the Ryan Johnson interpretation of Luke, I think. <laughs> but he, but he's also, but he's the Luke who has gone on that journey of yeah. Last Jedi. Because of course, in the in the opening scenes of Last Jedi, he is he's basically me. He's kind of just cranky old dude that doesn't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> and then by the by the end of the film, he's not well. He's not me anymore. But he's 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 turned around. Like he's he has gone through a, a definite arc, and that's what I liked about it. Now he's gone, but I sort of liked that he was back to the more warm hearted Luke. And people seem to say that that scene where he's like, you know, you should be more careful with this. You should be, you know, more respectful of a, of this weapon or whatever, whatever the line is where he catches the lightsaber. That it was a definite f you to Ryan Johnson, but I didn't take it that way. I took it that it was just a purposeful inversion of right. Okay, saw Luke disregard the lightsaber, but now he's on the other side of it, and he realizes, no, 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 no. It's and and he's kind and I and I sort of like his impish tone because now he's kind of Yoda ish. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's. Got a little. Mm. <laughs> He's got a little yeah. with yeah. Ray, which I really like. Yeah, I think like the people who thought like his character was too much like of a rejection of what he was in the Last Jedi. I, like, I don't think you followed his arc by the end of the Last Jedi because yeah. he's he's pretty clearly on the other side of things. He comes around in Last Jedi. He absolutely does, and so that's and that's true. what we're seeing in this film. And I like that because who doesn't want to see that? And am I the only person that um, that then in that flashback scene of Luke and Leia training? And they, we see them running, and then we see they mm-hmm. they flip up the blinder, the the visor, and we see obviously a digitized Mark Hamill looking like he did in in Return of the Jedi. I literally gasped because it looked yeah. so good, yeah. and, and and it was like that is the closest we will ever get to a live action version of the Marvel Star Wars comics, you know, because it was like, oh, my God, I'm actually seeing not only am I seeing, you know, new footage of Luke and Leia, I'm seeing new footage of Luke and Leia as they looked in 1983. I'm getting to see something that I normally only ever been drawn in the pages of a Marvel comic. And just seeing it for that moment, I was like, it was so exciting to see them again and that looking like they did. I'm glad they didn't do any more of that because I don't think they've really cracked that technology just yet. I thought in rogue one, Leia looked pretty rubbery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and so I'm glad that we didn't get anything more than that. But for that brief moment, I was like, Oh man, that was all. Oh, I was so exciting to see. Yeah, that was, that was great. I, you know, I'm, I'm with you though. We don't, we don't need Tarkin. We don't need, we don't need ghoulish Peter Cushing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, just, I, we... And I don't know why, because Marvel's cracked it. And right. they're all one big company. So it's like, hey, guys, go down the hall and ask them, 
how did you guys make Michael Douglas look like that in Endgame? How did you do that? You know, I don't know why they can't share that technology. You know, the Peter Cushing thing still doesn't bother me that much. I don't know what it is. I watch that movie and it like I, I don't get distracted by him. With Leia, I absolutely do, but with Peter Cushing. I don't know. Maybe it's just because he already looked like, like so kind of like gaunt and and slightly like undead that he just kind of like I'm like yeah okay I, I buy that. But with, with Carrie having such a sort of angelic and soft face that it does maybe it just sort of feels like a little bit like Vaseline on the lens or something like that. There's just something weird about it. But yeah, it's probably me from watching way too many Hammer films way too many times. It's probably part of it too. I can't accept mm, like Peter Cushing. <laughs> Um, moving into some of the new characters introduced in this one, uh, we get a bunch again because they don't have enough to do in this movie. <laughs> so let's throw in a bunch of new ones. Um, both Finn and Poe get potential love interests, which I love that that aforementioned Forbes review said they were brought in strictly to no homo the Finn and Poe bromance. So they have to have these love interests. Um, the first one, um, Zori Bliss, played by Carrie Russell, although we never actually see her because in true cool mercenary bounty hunter fashion, she keeps her helmet on the whole time. We see her eyes. But uh, what did we think of her and her relationship with Poe? I thought it was fine. I, I, I did feel like that the movie was – I always get a little like ugh, when it's like we got to go to the planet to get the thing. And then we got to go to get the other thing. And that kind of happened in Rogue One, too. And I was like, oh, all right, we, we got to go find Saul Guerrero so we can find my dad. Like, well, well just go find your dad. Just yeah. get Saul Guerrero entirely. Um, so I, I, I liked her just fine. I like Carrie Russell. I think she's I, she was in one of the recent Planet of the Apes movies. Um, I thought she was fine. I liked the, the character was cool. I certainly liked Babu Frick. Yes, uh, yes. That, yeah, I loved Babu Frick. But I just I don't know. I just I didn't think it was terribly necessary and especially when you know you had a bunch of perfectly fine characters lying around after last jedi and boy did i hate that moment where rose tico was basically like hi everybody um i have to go back to my home planet they need me and then like the skill <laughs> of animation pulls up and she disappeared i'm like that was i felt that was such jj abrams like don't get mad at me incels i'll get rid of her and then that really made – I felt like I, I heard a thousand incels cry out and not in anguish but in joy that they managed to kind of like push her out of this movie. And that, that bothered me because there was a bunch of characters in this film that could have just been Rose Tico. And the fact that she so clumsily exits the film, I just – oh, come on. Like what, I liked her in that movie and, and – uh, I almost would have preferred her not be in the movie at all than to have her stand there and say, I'm going to stay behind because reasons. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, they, I mean, they do give her some scenes, but yeah, she, she definitely, after the buildup in last time, she, you know, she, that's almost like, you know, if they didn't do anything with Lando and return of the Jedi or something, you know, they introduce Lando yeah. and, and then, and then all of a sudden he's not, he's basically shows up in return of the Jedi and says two lines and disappears that, yeah. you know, it's a kind of the same thing. So, yeah, I mean, aside from the treatment of Rose, I did like, you know, the Carrie Russell's character. I thought it was showed tremendous restraint that they you know, because Carrie Russell's very pretty, that she didn't take her helmet off and show us her face. Uh, you know, it's in in the film. I mean, her eyes are. You know, she's got very distinctive, uh, beautiful eyes, of course. But but you you know, 
I kept waiting to show, you know, for them to, you know, I was like, what is this, the Mandalorian? What's going on here? You know, but, <laughs> but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I, you know, that, that whole, I did, I really liked that planet though, where it was snowing and they were all covered. Even C3PO had a hood on and a cloak. And, and, uh, and before we go any further, this is the first movie where I really like C3PO after, <laughs> after, after nine movies. I actually thought he was pretty funny and not just, I mean, not that I don't, I don't hate the C3PO. I don't, this, I don't not like the C3PO, but he actually had some of the funniest lines and funniest things in this, in this film. And it's actually, it's like, wow, good on you guys. You gave like, you know, Anthony Daniels, a really great send off in this movie. <laughs> I completely agree. Like I'll come to a couple of things, but like, I, I didn't just find him funny in this one. I had the most emotional reaction to him. Because in the trailer, when they showed him saying, I'm taking one last look at my friends, I was like, all right, this scene would probably mean a lot more if he was looking at Han, Luke, and Leia or something like that. (laughs) It seems like they're trying to force it. But in the context of the movie, like at that moment when he is going to have his memory erased and the memory that we have now followed for nine movies or more, and and he's going to wipe his mind just so that they can retrieve this crucial piece of information, I was like, wow, I actually... it, like they don't have to kill him off, but if this is his heroic sacrifice, I really like this, and I'm finding myself really attached to the C three Bills and especially right at the end when he's like on Babu Frick's table and she's got his brain open. He's like, "Hang on, I just had a thought of something else we can try," and she shuts him down. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and then later on, when he wakes up and she's like, Babu Frick introduces himself, he's like, "Hey, hey Babu Frick," and and everything, and like some like they mention his name in passing, and the three Bills like, "Oh, Babu Frick, that's my oldest friend." <laughs> I love that. So, um, but getting back to that planet, Chris, because you mentioned like it reminded me of like Nepal and the um, when Indiana Jones meets Marion in Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. like the, like yeah. just kind of like the the sort of mountainous like sort of like snow covered uh, caps and everything. Um, I yeah, I, and uh, hey, and she gives a, there's a medallion given over in that scene yeah, too. Yeah, she does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I liked the, I liked the interactions between Zori and Poe. I didn't like this like all of a sudden retcon that he's a former spice runner or something like that. It's like when did how does that square with like the character that we've seen up to this point? But I felt like it was all kind of worth it for their moment at the very end during the celebration when he <laughs> gives her that look and he's like, "So are we gonna you know hook up or something and celebrate?" And she just shakes her head no, and he's like, "All right, fine." He's, I heard a million women cry out in anguish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, then there is um, there is Jana, the woman that we meet on the planet that's not the forest moon of Endor, but somewhere Endor adjacent, um, who apparently they've said was Lando's daughter, but they didn't actually explain it in the movie. Now apparently, like that was something that was supposed to be seeded, was she was the daughter that was kidnapped. Uh, when he was on this mission with Luke or something like that on that planet, and she was brainwashed by the First Order, but they just completely didn't explain this. So at the end, they like their relationship is kind of nebulous. And I heard other people like, well, now it's kind of creepy that he's sort of like, it looks like he's hitting on her at the end. I'm like, eh, that just seems classic Lando to me. <laughs> oh man, when 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 she says, "I never knew my parents," or "I didn't know," I I don't know where I'm from, and he goes, "Let's find out." I swear to God, I thought the film was going to stop and a Disney Plus logo was going to come up saying 2021. It was like, ding! It was just like $6.99 a month, folks. I was like, oh, come on. This is such a commercial. And that said, I will watch that show when they do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I, will watch the, I will watch the Landalorian, absolutely. <laughs> Landalorian. 
<laughs> I don't think the movie needed another granddaughter, another son or daughter or something like to pull into the like that was already too much, but I did like her character and I liked like I liked the whole look of like her little crew and how they had like those like animals, like those like horses with their weird things and how that led to their like battle charge at the end. I just thought like aesthetically those, that was those horses should have been the things from the Canto Bite. They should have been oh, those yeah. animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that that whole part kind of reminded me of that that, that group that uh, that Han and Chewie met, meet in Solo though. I mean, it was like it was kind of like a similar yeah similar feel. Yeah, it kind of yeah, had yeah. kind of had a you know kind of had a similar feel to it in a lot of ways. But I really did. I, I thought you know, I mean, to to get such a, a kind of come late in the movie, I you know I took to the character I, I, you know pretty quickly, and she had a you know. Uh, good, uh, good chemistry with with Finn, and yeah, I, I mean, I would see, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing more with that character and Lando, of course. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't who wouldn't want to see more Lando? With Billy Dee Williams was just great in this. I was really, really glad to see that. I mean, he, you know, I mean, I have I haven't seen Billy Dee in a lot of like live action things in years, so I didn't know, you know, I haven't seen him act in anything forever. But he really he pulled the role off pretty well. I thought. I love seeing him again. Although I will say, and I hate to say, I wish this had been in the movie because the movie is so overstuffed. But I really wish there had been at least one line where Lando, we know that Lando knows Han is dead. We never get that. And, right. you know, it's like, I just, just, just something just to be like, you know, just to have him sit in the cockpit and just cock his head a little and look sad because he knows why he's there. Just, I mean, he obviously knows Han is dead, but I just, I, I wish they'd given Billy D. Williams that moment. Uh, of just kind of like, oh, that he's sorry that his friend is gone. You know, I, I just I wanted that so bad. Yeah, I think it's this was going back to one of my complaints earlier. I, it's a testament to Billy D. Williams's just natural charisma and likability, and how much everybody loves Lando. That at the end of the Last Jedi, the Resistance put out their call for reinforcements, and nobody came. But in this one, <laughs> apparently, all it takes is Lando flying around for an hour in the core systems, and a billion <laughs> civilian militia ships show up to fight an army of Star Destroyers. Well, he has a lot of followers on his YouTube channel. Oh, I mean, apparently. I think totally like, exactly, that's, exactly. That's, I got, Yeah. I, <laughs> I got to say what Cindy, I asked Cindy the same thing. I'm like, you know, in, in Last Jedi, they didn't, you know, they nobody would come when they called. And it's like, and Lando shows up. She's like, well, it's Lando. And she said, you know, he showed up and said, hey, you know, it's like, I'm not saying you're going to make it, but if you do, I'll share a Colt 45 with you. <laughs> and she hit it right on when she said it. I almost, I fell out of my chair and the floor and almost died when she said it. So. <laughs> uh. Um. All right, so then, well, then getting into like the final battle and everything, that was where for me, I started to not like the movie again, just because they, like this is where, just like more more of like the technical issues and like I, I was less invested with the characters and just aspects of the plot and like the villain, like the the mechanics of why can't these star destroyers fly on their own? Like why are they? Like, can't they navigate and everything like that? And just like where did these ships all come from? Are they all crewed? Like you've got to have like a trillion Sith or, or stormtroopers or something manning these things. Where did all of these people come from? They've all been living in a cloud in some nebula for the past three decades. <laughs> and all of this stuff going on. Like the, just the, the technical aspects of this battle. Just, I was just, uh, okay. I, this needed a rewrite a lot, but so, and at that point, like, but the things that I liked were 
I liked Ray going in, and I liked Ben coming to help her out, and I loved that the thing that they seeded throughout with them like being able to actually teleport things through the Force, and actually like th- this kind of new variation of like a Force power that we haven't seen, except we did actually see this in the Last Jedi. It's one thing that carried over when they w- were able to connect like through like time and space, like when Kylo Ren could feel water. From like mm-hmm. the island planet that she was on, so that I love all this, that stuff. Yeah, when they did that this time, and we get the necklace that leads him to where she is, and he finds out that she's on the ship because of the Vader mask and everything. And finally, because they did that, I knew where it was coming. I was like, once he shows up, I'm like, she's gonna pass him a lightsaber. Um, so I love that moment when they're together. But then I, I wanted them to actually both be together and and equally instrumental in bringing down the down the Emperor. And the fact that he's basically just thrown off, thrown off, he's just like cast into the pit. I, I just felt kind of like like was kind of weak for him. And then like his big thing was he he climbs back and he dies to to bring her back to life. And they got I, I felt like they missed a chance to be really creative in the fact that you know, pow, it's one of those things that and it goes back to a problem that I had with the prequels where you know the emperor showed in Return of the Jedi that these lightsabers were meaningless to him because he could freaking shoot lightning out of his fingertips. <laughs> he didn't need something as stupid as a lightsaber, which is why I absolutely hate the fact that he has a lightsaber in Revenge of the Sith. Um, but also the fact like, like, that apparently a lightsaber can block Force Lightning, as if it was like some video game or something, because they, we see that in the prequels. <laughs> and we see that in this one. I'm like, no, if the, if the Sith have a power that is that strong, like the, a Force Lightning then give the light side something that is equally powerful and equally unique. Like, have her create some sort of force shield or a fire or something like that that is visually distinct, visually unique, that you see really comes from the spirit because she gets all of these Jedi Knights and we hear the voice cameos from all of these different characters and we'll come back to those. But, like, the fact that ultimately she wins with the power of two lightsabers... I just felt like that was a really weak, kind of dumb ending for the for the final battle. What'd you guys? Think? I, I, I kind of got that she was focusing the force through the lightsabers. It wasn't the fact that she had two lightsabers. It was the fact that you know that was that was the focal point that she was putting all all of her connection to the force into. That's that's the way I looked at it. That's the way I interpret it because, yeah, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, I mean, you know, besides the emperor would have started getting his face all jacked up again, like when Mace Windu, <laughs> Mace Windu did it to him in the in Revenge of the Sith, right? So, uh, but yeah, that that's the way I looked at it. So that that part didn't bother me. But I will go back that I think it's funny that Luke freaking signposts. He's like, you will take both lightsabers to Exabol or whatever the name of the planet is. Like, it, it, it'd be funny for he's like, I think I'll just take one. No, 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 you need to take both <laughs> lightsabers. Take them both. <laughs> Pretty pushy for a ghost. <laughs> I wish that I, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I knew that Palpatine was coming back, and I wasn't a big fan of that because, I, to me, I'm like, I, I think that the 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 original trilogy, while not perfect, obviously. Like I never got the sense that the emperor the emperor was a physical guy. And when he dies by being thrown into the reactor, like that's his corporeal form breaking down. And so if you can say, well, he can survive that. Well, then it's like, well, he can just survive anything. 
So then when Ray blows him up at the end of this movie, I'm like, well, how do we know that's the end of him now? You know what I mean? Like he survived the last one. Why can't he survive this one? I've said this in in uh, another uh, podcast. In fact, uh, we just talked about this on on Treasury Cast, which will be out later on this month. Where it's like I always get weirded out on like cosmic battles because it's always just somebody going. And then someone else going more, and the other person's like, "Well, okay, even more than that." And you're like, "Well, what? What's the rule here? I don't know how any of this works." So at a certain point, I just was like, "Look, I don't understand what's going on. I don't. I, I agree with Chris that yeah, I think she was sort of harnessing the force through the lightsabers, and it wasn't just well, I have two lightsabers, so that's you know one better. Uh, but I did feel like it was just like, well." All right. I mean, so there's like a thousand emperors now. Like, I, I just it all seemed a little like what? I don't. It, it, I just kind of was like, all right. I don't. I don't really understand what's going on here, and that it's. I'm gonna have to live with that because it, we're at the end of the movie, uh, and that's just kind of the, the the way it is. But you know, okay. I mean, I will say we didn't talk about it. I love the scene of speaking of force powers. Her and and Kylo uh, doing uh, trying to um, uh, pull that ship down. Oh, and yeah. having it blow, I thought that was terrific. Of like, mm-hmm. that's what happens when you're for you use force powers and you're really not fully under control. You can kill somebody. Now, of course, they don't kill Chewie, like they say they're going to. But I thought that was a really powerful moment. Of like, this is what can happen uh, between people that are just become pawns of these two crazy Jedi power wielding people. Yeah, yeah I, I remember. Th- I mean, that was when like as soon as they hinted that she was somebody, I was like, okay, she's probably related to Palpatine. And then once the lightning shot off her, I was like, yep, that's that she's going to be Palpatine's granddaughter or something like that. And um, I, I thought it would have been really bold if they had actually killed Chewie at that point. Now I knew they weren't going to do it because they weren't going to have her responsible for Chewie's death like that. But oh man, <laughs> stop <laughs> killing all our beloved characters! <laughs> God sakes. What did you guys think? I know we're jumping ahead, but while we're talking about Chewie, what did you think about him getting the medal? I honestly thought it was dumb. Like, <laughs> I, like that was my, like, I was like, okay, I get Maz Kanata. She said she has a crush on Chewie, so she wants to get, but I was like, whether it was his own medal, whether it was Han's medal, I was just like, you guys, seriously, this, I get that this is like an internet meme thing that has been going on for a long time, but... It was one thing 40 years ago. Do you think he gives a <laughs> shit about that medal? Plus he's, plus he's got hands anyway because hands dead. Yeah. So right, right. I'm sure hand left his medal at the Millennium Falcon. So yeah. he's got it now anyway. So what's the difference? Plus, <laughs> we're just assuming that Chewie wanted to go back with the Falcon to the Death Star. Maybe that was all Han's plan. Like Chewie had no say in it. He was just riding yeah. shotgun. He didn't care. I want to go back to I, I'm, I'm late for life day. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it did that. The, the, I, it didn't bother me because at that point, J.J. Abrams was just uh, metaphorically spinning the dial mm-hmm. and we were just hitting everything. It's like, oh, here's Wedge. Oh, look, here's Ewoks. Why? You know, it's just like every right. single thing from these movies. I was like, when's Need Numb going to show up? Of course, he shows up in the, in the other movie. But it was just like, yeah, he's just hitting every single little thing. At this point, I mean, I was like, we're gonna cut the salacious crew. Hey, hey, hey. You know, it's just like it's gonna, every single thing. I was like, all right, we're just it, it's a cheesy moment, but it's just sort of like, ah, it's okay because this is the fight, this is the last 90 seconds of these iteration of Star Wars. So, okay, I'll forgive it. The very end when she goes back to Tatooine, uh, and she goes, she finds the, the Lars homestead and everything and buries the lightsabers, which I, I don't know, I, I get the emotion that J.J. was going... That, like, that is one thing I will say. 
J.J. was really trying to go for emotional beats with this movie, oftentimes at the expense of logic and reason, but <laughs> he was going for emotion. And some of them landed and some of them didn't. But the whole thing at the end when she goes to bury the lightsabers on Tatooine, she sees Luke and Leia's ghost. And the final shot where she's looking out at the twin sons, maybe that would have resonated more for me, but we just got that in the last movie, in The Last Jedi, when Luke is staring out as he's dying, you see the reflection of the sun, uh, like off off like the water or something, and there, there's like the whatever like the effect of the, the the rays or something. So his finale was that double sun shot. So I felt like now to put it in now it's like a, like a signature shot that's in four of the nine movies. It just felt weird and kind of like discordant, but I don't know. It didn't. I thought it was okay, but I I did feel like I I didn't get like. Why would you bury Luke's beloved item at the place he was desperate to get away from, which was the f- moisture farm? I mean, he's been, you know, he talks in the whole first chunk of the movie. He's, he, you know, he doesn't want to be there. So to me, I don't get the sense that, like, that was some sacred ground for Luke. I would think you could bury them on Dagobah or something or just I mean, I, I don't know. I just I, I just felt like ah, they're just trying to kind of like bookend the movie it opens with this now it's going to close with this and so you know i was like all right it's fine but it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because i didn't get the sense that was you know that that meant anything to luke skywalker one thing i did like is you know through the whole movie ray is she's unsure of herself she's you know she can't connect to the force she can't hear the voices of the of the other jedi and and then when she starts to you know get clues of who she really is then she really starts to question herself you do not hear ray's theme that john williams wrote for her throughout the movie until she shows back up in red five at the end and then they start playing it and then they play it again when she's on tatooine and i like how she takes the little piece of scrap and slide yeah, down the, yeah. the, the hill just like we saw her do in the first movie it was kind of like you know she's back in touch with herself again because she's okay with who she is which i thought was a really nice touch and uh i you know i will say one thing that i noticed and the only reason i noticed this is because for the past four years i have had a poster on my daughter's door which you know faces the hallway of a close-up of daisy ridley's very cute freckled face holding her staff in front of it. That lightsaber handle is her staff. I'm pretty oh, sure. Yeah. She I cut didn't her notice that. Staff down and it's cause it even got that little like flip thing. And that's how the blade pops up when it, when it ignites. And I thought that's cool. We'll probably never get to see it again, but that's a cool lightsaber. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they'll make a toy of it. They've got to mer- merchandise that thing once like the spoiler embargo is over, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Yeah, I thought that was good, but I've seen that thing so much for the past four years. I instantly knew, oh, that's her. That's her staff. <laughs> so. that's a, that was a nice touch. And by the, I'm glad you mentioned Chris that her the scene of her riding the scrap metal down because that's actually that was the first moment in Force Awakens that I really felt like okay, this movie is it's not just slavishly re- imitating Star Wars. It's kind of charting its own course a little bit. And I love the music. And I like that she does that because she can go back. Like even after this horrendous journey she's been on, she can go back to being a little childlike, which I yeah. thought was nice. Like she's not, she's still got that sort of spark uh, of, of joy in her, even though she's experienced these really amazingly heavy things. So I thought that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the music that you mentioned, um, John Williams, he pulled out a lot of familiar music cues for this and going back to a lot. And like, if you listen to the, the soundtrack and the score, 
There are refrains from all through the trilogy. My favorite part is uh, from the new the new uh, like music from the the sequel trilogy. I really liked Kylo Ren's theme. I mean, it's not as big as the Imperial March. It's not a signature, but it was something that was instantly identifiable whenever he showed up in the movies. You heard that dun 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Really ominous. Towards the end, when he is rushing back to the temple to to give her some backup, Williams does a a play on that theme. But I don't I don't know if he like does it in major chords instead of minor ones or something. It creates it a little bit airy, but it's it's the same notes, but it plays like a more heroic theme, and it's da na 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 da na na na, and it's like just this really cool note that you hear as he's like diving into the temple, like grabbing onto the chain, and I was like, that's a cool little twist on that, that we, like a little audio cue that he's in a different space now, but it's still familiar to him. So mm-hmm. That John Williams guy is pretty talented. He he shows up in the movie. He's the he's oh that's the, right yeah. He's the, the bartender or whatever when they're going to look for Babu Frick. Yeah. Oh that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And and just just to as a little aside, Frank Oz shows up in Knives Out, which is of course directed by Ryan Johnson. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Getting to the very end uh, and the thing that the line that is now being made fun of by people all over, which I love. The fact that she adapts, adopts this name, Ray Skywalker, by the end of it. I, I mean, they kept saying that this was the end of the Skywalker saga. Of course, now, well, it doesn't have to be because you created another Skywalker. But what do we think? I mean, I, I get the point that she is choosing a family. But is that the name that's the most appropriate? The most... I mean, well, she, I mean... she could have said, I'm Ray." Two one eight seven, and then we would know that you know she and Finn will have that life together that he wanted. <laughs> I love how they left that hanging too. I mean, you know, it's, which apparently is driving people crazy. They're like, "What was he going to say? What do you think he was going to say when he's dying?" Ray, I love you. It's obvious. Yeah, I mean, I know when, he I... Real, when he realizes she doesn't have jungle fever, then he finds it. Then he hooks up with Lando's daughter. So. I wanted her to say, "I'm Ray Frick." <laughs> and then that's the end of the movie. <laughs> well, what she would, I mean, she could have said Ray Solo, I guess, but, you know, I mean, they're all connected through the Skywalkers, and, you know, it's, it's to, uh, it's, it's to Luke and Leia, and, and also, I mean, even though Ben's technically obviously a solo, I mean, he's obviously, you know, even Emperor Palpatine refers to him as Skywalker, and I love the fact that Palpatine refers to, uh, Leia as the princess from Alderaan. He's still, you know, he's he's like he's like your old grandpa that's still calling people stuff that don't apply anymore. You know, basically <laughs> what it amounts to. Uh, but he's reliving, uh, he's reliving old glories. Remember the time when I blew up the old planet? That was good. That was the good old days. We had that thing, we had that big machine that blew up planets. That was awesome. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I think Skywalker. I mean, I, I had absolutely no problem. I mean, I I wouldn't go around telling anybody I'm Ray Palpatine, would you? I mean, Schmalpatine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't have a problem with it either. I mean, I just thought it was like a tribute to Luke. You know, uh, the 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 per, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of thematic sense exactly because if she's really charting her own course, she really should just say just Ray. But it's fine. You know what I mean? And it's sort of funny because if they never do another movie with Daisy Ridley as this character, they are really metaphorically leaving money on the table because she's great in this role. Mm -hmm. And as Chris just talked about with his daughter, like this is, you know, 
mil- millions of little girls have a have a great hero to look up to. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, you you know they have a lot more to look up to in, in feature films than they used to. I mean, there's a live action Wonder Woman running around and stuff like that. But but to never see her again feels like a real waste of of material. That said, if you do another movie with Ray, well, then now you're like, well, you get now you got to get Luke into it. You know, how can you not? He's a ghost. And, you know, I mean, so it's like you're cut. If you leave that door open, all the characters are going to come spilling out. You can't help it. But at the same time, I would feel sad if I never saw her again as this character because she's she was great. I I think we're going to see Ray and teenage baby Yoda on Disney Plus in about five years. (laughs) (laughs) Because where the hell is he? You know, I mean, if he's so damn powerful, where's he at in all this? (laughs) You know, think about it. Uh, Available in stores next Christmas, everybody. That's right. <laughs> I will say one thing that we were talking about. Something that popped in my head that just just a little, you know, one of those little fan ideas you have. But when they were inside three uh, PO's head, you know, where they're trying to find this, you know, this path wayfinder, this Sith wayfinder. What if they, when Babu Frick was inside three PO's head, he unlocked some recording that was didn't get wiped out at the end of the prequels. And it was some, you know, something in there from from Anakin that told where this this planet is, and then they they could, and then they'd all have to look at each other and go, "Wait a minute, three PO was made by freaking Anakin Skywalker." <laughs> <laughs> that would have been fun just to see like Poe and Finn like kind of freak out about it, but then also like it would take them on a different, like a slightly different. They end up in the same place, but on a different trajectory. Plus, it would tie the. For the prequel fans, it would tie the prequels back in, too. So, I don't know. It was just a little nerd thought. So <laughs> I kind of wish they had done that instead of finding all the items, because then it became like the Goonies for a little bit. You know, we're like, <laughs> got to put this here in the right spot. And I was just like, oh, come on. Guys. There one scene's exactly the Goonies, where they're looking through the the, yeah. the little thing. It's a, the, the You know, and it's like, oh, the Death Star is exactly in the same spot as it was, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. That's that's convenient, you know. <laughs> The shuffle or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, all right. Goonies never say die, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, spe- speaking of Anakin, before we go, what did you guys think of like all of the voices at the end of the voice cameos that we get from like the Jedi? We hear Luke and Leia, obviously. We hear Anakin as Hayden Christensen. Um, we get Mace Windu's voice. We get two versions of Obi Wan. We get Ewan McGregor and Alec Guinness. Uh, Yoda. Um, I think they had like at least two or three uh, like women from the prequel trilogies who played characters that we never knew their names, but they've got Ahsoka. I know we hear Ahsoka, Ahsoka, Ahsoka. and then like yeah. Baris Afi and some of the other like prequel. So yeah, there's to do a number of. What did you think about that scene? I, I liked it just fine. I mean, it was again, it was nice for them to just get everybody. But it reminded me, frankly, of Endgame. You know, where it's like that funeral scene where it's just like we just get everybody. Because this is really it. And so I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was, it was fun to hear all those voices and try and make them out. I mean, I was trying to just keep up at a certain point, like, wait, what am I hearing? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I kind of was hoping that they're, and I, 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 be careful what you wish for. They could have done it and it would have been, could have been bad and looked bad visually, but I kind of wish there'd been at least a little visual interpretation of them appear on the screen. I, I just, I, I just think that would have been a neat moment, but it, very fleeting, not, 
any just just fleeting enough that you could just go oh, oh like kind of like the Luke see, seeing Luke as a young man when he pops mm. the visor mm-hmm. up that type of thing you know just just real super quick we don't want to dwell on it <laughs> uh, you know obviously these actors even the guys from the prequels have aged uh, since they played those characters so you know I don't know if you could have pulled it off but. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, a little digital trickery and uh, maybe, but, but I, I thought it was cool. I did think it was, uh, you know, if you think about it, the, the end of this movie and Andrew looked over at me, you know, when all the ships come in and everything, he's like, uh, this is end game. This <laughs> on your left, <laughs> yeah, on your left, pretty much. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, instead of Dr. Strange bringing them in Lando is, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, 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 it's a pretty similar ending in a lot of ways, which is because since it come out of the same studio, it's just kind of interesting, but in the same year, but Hey, you know, <laughs> I do feel like blockbuster screenwriting. It's kind of all just drawing from the same couple of elements, you know, and, I, I would like it if if maybe they send some of these writers off to come up with just some other ideas. Yeah, I just you know like finding a Jedi knife. I was like, really, a knife that we've like never heard of before. Like since when did the Je- you know what I mean? Like it was just like, oh, come on, you know that that stuff. I just thought, ah, that's that's somebody you know that that. And I also know that they were rushed. You know they had to get this done, and so you you do forgive certain things. So I mean, like I said I hope I'm not complaining about this movie too much because I did enjoy it, and I walked out satisfied but i i just i don't know i just want i love star wars so much that i want it to uh grow and i hope that it will i just don't know if based on this movie it's ever going to get a real chance to because i just think we i don't know i as i said i think they've kind of closed it like jj almost like pulled the ladder up behind him a little bit and that's unfortunate because i want to see more movies not benny off and weiss movies uh but but more star wars movies for sure well, you know, this this whole and I think the thing and we've talked about this in amongst our, you know, chats on Facebook and stuff. It's so strange to think, you know, the Marvel we were talking about the Marvel movies. And and I don't think the Marvel movies like I don't think when they wrote Iron Man, the original Iron Man, they they knew what was going to happen in Endgame, but but they did over the course of time start to plot out where these movies were going. And especially when you had the, the same two writers writing everything and then the Russo right. brothers pretty much directing everything. You started to kind of see or the tentpole films where they were going. It seems really strange that they didn't have like a definite, you know, no matter who directed the movies that Kathleen Kennedy and whoever else at Disney and Lucasfilm didn't have all three of these movies at least basically plotted out. That's amazing. That's it, amazing it, when I heard that. Yeah. And it's just it. It. And it, you know, unfortunately, you know, as much as I enjoyed this, and I, I don't dislike Last Jedi. I, I'd like it the least of the three myself. But it's really strange that they didn't because it's like, why would you do that? Because basically, you know, in a lot of ways, JJ painted Ryan Johnson in a corner by saying, "Well, Luke had to have some reason to run off." So then Ryan Johnson's like, "Well, I got to portray Luke as a." cranky old bastard that just gave up on everything what else am i supposed to do and then and then jj's like oh well you know the fans really didn't like most of that so i gotta he painted me in a corner now i gotta paint over here it's like you know it's like (laughs) plot this stuff out guys before you start a billion dollar trilogy next time (laughs) this is a discussion that i've got planned for a whole other podcast episode in the future so listeners can can look forward to that um yeah, I will say, like Rob and like you, Chris, like I, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I expected I would. 
I have difficulty saying it's a good movie, like sort of justifying it. I, I keep coming back to this feeling like maybe I'm just such a mark for the the novelties, the tropes of this universe that I that I am familiar with, that I am comfortable with, so that just giving me what I called it, the comfort food, was enough to make me happy at the end of the day. Um, and, and yeah, because uh, this is fun. And where do they go from here, Rob? I mean, I, I mean, I hope that they do take a little bit of a breather, a couple of years, maybe five oh, yeah, years or so, yeah. reset. And when they do, I mean, unfortunately, I don't, I think it would be, I, I think if they come back to these characters like Ray, as much as I would like to see Daisy Ridley do more with this, I, I think then you kind of get locked into the same never-ending saga of re- repetition. Yep. Yep. And I think they would be better served to do a a kind of seismic shift in, in the tone and the themes and the setting, really set it in the distant past or the distant future so that we don't have the same aesthetic trappings. I mean, you can keep the planets and some of the tech the same, but get rid of the Star Destroyers and the Empire and, and these things, like make sure that we don't recognize those things. Yeah, Something all new stuff. Something different, all new stuff. And as long as you've still got ships and droids and lightsabers, I think you'll be okay. And you can really make a new staple. And that's I think Ryan Johnson probably would have done something like that if he had given if he had gotten a trilogy. And for as much as I think The Last Jedi was problematic, I did like the idea that somebody with a new take could get a brand new trilogy that wasn't part of I think his idea of kind of throwing Star Wars on its head and really kind of reversing these things was misguided to do in the penultimate chapter of this long saga. But if given free reign, free of these restrictions, maybe that would have been really cool. But I don't know. Um, I'll Follow t- Broom Kid. I'm going to see what happens to Broom Kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I, I I like the movie. I give it a thumbs up. Um, it is, yeah, I enjoy it. It's not without flaws, but it's still entertaining, and and that'll be that'll be my feeling on it at least for the time being. So. So I couldn't make the record, and I just want to get my salient points on the record as quickly as I can. I'm aiming for two minutes. I tried to do it in one. 
I couldn't do it. I'm going to cover both the positives and the negatives, get it all on the record, and go. Overall, I like the movie. I want to stress that as hard as I can at the front end of this. I came out of it going, I'm glad I saw that, which is more than I could say for The Last Jedi. However, I'm probably going to end up spending more time talking about things that didn't work. The Emperor, oh my freaking God. I hate on principle that he comes back at all. I feel like it negates the victory of Return of the Jedi, and also it means that the, the new characters in this new trilogy aren't really having their own story. They're playing cleanup to the story from the previous trilogy. And that retroactively makes me annoyed at how much emphasis was on the older characters in the last two films, especially when I see how great Finn, Ray, and Poe are as a trio, as a group dynamic. They are terrific, and I'm annoyed that we didn't have more of them together in the previous films. I'm pretty sure Ray and Poe didn't even meet until the second film that they were in together. The Emperor coming back, aside from my major philosophical issue with it, raises a ton of questions that the movie doesn't bother to answer. I'm not saying there are no viable answers to this, but it is a lot to gloss over. And I had some of the same issues with the way that Snoke was handled, because, okay, so the Emperor's back. It, did he never die, or did he come back to life? Does he need Ray to keep going, or is he just being opportunistic? Is he lying with any of the stuff he says, or are we taking it on authority, since he's literally the only source that we have? Does it need to be Ray that he pours himself into? Why couldn't it have been his son that he apparently had that we never knew anything about up until this point? The connection between Ray and Ben, that was phenomenal. It was completely textbook. Setup, reminder, payoff grabs the thing off her neck, then we get the reminder where they, and it escalates with the fight between them, he realizes where she is, and then pays off, she drops him the lightsaber. Awesome. The end, super fanficy. Oh my god. And there's a fleet uh, that's all these Star Destroyers that have Death Star lasers on them, and then all the other uh, starships in the galaxy come to fight them, and then the Emperor force lightnings the entire fleet, but Rey has two lightsabers, so she wins. Hooray! Well, uh, <sighs> And as a final point, I don't like that Ben died. I don't think it's necessary for him to die to have re redemption. And I also think they gave Ray the ending that made way more sense for Ben than it did for her. That's it. I'm done. Oh, and Shag, you are so wrong. Before we leave, I do have to subject you both to the new installment of the Galactic Questionnaire. Um, <laughs> so, we'll start off with uh, Chris. You can get the question first. Rob, you can have time to think about it. <laughs> Thanks. Chris, best Stormtrooper variant. Ooh, best Stormtrooper variant. Uh, you know, I was really disappointed that the Sith Troopers, which got the... Got a hell of a lot of marketing, and the toys were such a big deal, barely showed up in this movie. The red hmm. Sith Troopers, that was a big disappointment. I got to say, when the freaking like flamethrower trooper showed up on the Mandalorian with the red on his helmet, that dude's pretty freaking slick. I'm going to go with him. <laughs> nice, nice. Rob, your favorite Stormtrooper? Oh, Snow Trooper forever. The, the, that helmet is just boss. And the little skirt, that thing is totally boss. I love that. <laughs> I was one of my favorite figures of all time. Uh, question two, Rob, your favorite droid character? Uh, I really do love BB-8. Um, that said, I got to go with Gonk Droid. <laughs> All right, Chris? Uh, I, I'm on a Mandalorian kick, but I'm, I'm really freaking loving IG-11 now because, I mean, <laughs> a, freaking, a freaking droid that can ride a freaking speeder bike and shoot people, I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> and take care of a baby at the same time. How, how cool is that? <laughs> I mean, if nothing else, the new Disney era has given me some of my favorite droids. I love BB-8. I loved... Uh, uh, K2 in Rogue One. I loved L3 in Solo. I love IG-11, so these are fun, yeah. 
What about Dio? What did you think of Dio? I actually, uh, uh, yeah, David Ace Gutierrez had some thoughts on him, the marketing uh, uh, droid or whatever that was had like like you know like uh, attachment disorders or some sort of like security <laughs> issues. But it, it was fine. It was fine. It was like kind of like a whipped dog that is taking a. a shined to Ray. I wish he actually hadn't disappeared at the end. I wish he would have been with her at some point. There is no subject for which you cannot say David Gutierrez has some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Question three, Chris. Uh, a bigger offender from the special editions, Greedo shooting first or the scene with Jabba at Docking Bay 94? Ah, <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> Sophie's choice. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, you know, uh, the Greedo scene comes and goes so, so fast. It, it, it's it, it's it's wrong. It, it it tries to paint the character of Han in the wrong way. Uh, you know, repaint him, and now there's the freaking McClunky thing or whatever. But <laughs> but but the the Jabba scene's just awful. I mean, it it looks better now than it first did because they keep changing the CGI, but. It's still horrible, and I mean that little jump that poor Harrison Ford makes, like, and it looks like literally some kid took a pair of scissors and cut the film out and then slid it up and then slid it back down. It that one's worse. <laughs> Rob, your thoughts? While that Jabba scene is horrendous, I have to go with uh, Greedo shooting first because you can just forget the Jabba scene. It's so meaningless you could just put it out of your mind as soon as it's over. But the Greedo scene makes you just go, "Wait, what?" Like it, it, to me, it's like the record scratch of the Star Wars uh, special edition. So I got to go with, with Greedo shooting first. All right, Rob Han Solo jacket or vest? Ooh, uh, jacket. The ja- I, I'm not. I can't pull off a vest. So I, it, literally and figuratively. So uh, I, I could go with the jacket. Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go jacket. Uh, definitely jacket, and even maybe even the uh, the indoor duster. That's a pretty cool look too. Oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I thought you'd go you'd go vest, just because I thought like the original look was more more of a love note to like the trucker look or something like that. I just thought, <laughs> <laughs> reason little I Jerry Reed. Vest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a puffy vest, and I would have. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Chris. Um, which character introduced in the prequel trilogy would you want to see a spin-off movie about? Oh, oh, introduced in the prequel trilogy. I'd go watch a Mace Windu movie right now. I mean, it's Samuel Jackson with a lightsaber. Of course I'd go watch that. <laughs> Rob? I hate to duplicate Chris's answer, but I literally thought of that too. It's like, give Mace Windu some adventures where he doesn't look like a total idiot. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's 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 get the Mace Windu movie off. So while while Samuel Jackson is still relatively young, and they can kind of like digitize him younger, as we know that they can do. Uh, sure. Yeah, do the yeah Mace Windu movie. Let's let's find out that he survived. You know when he got blown out that window, and he's, he was you know, a scroll all along. So <laughs> exactly, yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right, Rob. What is the best moment in your least favorite Star Wars movie? Oh, dear. All right. Well, my least favorite Star Wars movie is Phantom Menace. So the best moment. Oh, man. Uh, OK, the best moment in the, in my least favorite Star Wars movie, which is Phantom Menace, is uh, the battle between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and the moment where they're temporarily separated and Qui-Gon just immediately goes into like the meditation pose. 
I thought that was really cool that like, you know, that you see Marth uh, Maul pacing back and forth uh, because he because he's, you know, just not roiling with emotion. Mm -hmm. But I love that Qui-Gon does the uh, does the Ben Kenobi thing where he just kind of pauses uh, to collect himself. I thought that was a nice touch. Mm hmm. Chris, well, Rob, Rob stole my answer, so uh, that was going to be my answer too. But I will say, uh, from the holiday special, the Boba Fett cartoon. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Han looks weird as hell, I'm sorry, that's a weird ass design for Han Solo. But mm. but other than that, the cartoon's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, if you could take a selfie at any location in the Star Wars universe, where would it be? Well, I'm going to say Batu because I'm freaking going to freaking Disney World at some point <laughs> in freaking Black Spire Outpost, and I'm going to take one. So that's what I'm going to say because I am dying to get there. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Rob, what do you think? I got to go with the Moss Eisley Cantina just because the, the amount of – you know, like that would just be awesome to have like a photo of me and like Snaggletooth and Hammerhead and Walrus Man. Like that would be, be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> nice nice alright well um, thank you both very much for being on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars Chris where can our listeners find you uh, they can find me on JLUcast that I do with my wife Cindy that's where we talk about the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series uh, we do Supermates occasionally as well uh, was on Superman Movie Minute with Rob but uh, we're on a break now we're getting ready to talk about Richard Pryor for like six months uh, so <laughs> <laughs> Some kind of hero minute. Yeah, exactly. The toy minute. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> we can get Richard Donner back on. Get Richard perfect. Donner. Get Dick Donner back. Uh, <laughs> also do Batman Nightcast with you, Ryan, and uh, Rob and I also do Power Records on occasion. So I'm all over the place. Rob, where can we find you? I am similarly all over the place. I do Pod Dylan, and I do For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast. I do Treasury Cast. Chris and I, as he just said, we're on hiatus on Superman Movie Minute. Of course, I do Fire and Water and a bunch of other shows with uh, Shag, and I occasionally do Film and Water, and coming soon will be uh, MASHcast Season 3. Very cool. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for uh, joining us on this episode of Give Me Those Star Wars Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at ryandaily01 or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find the Fire & Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Please visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for more information on how you can support this network. All music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believe covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Technically, you do make money now because of Patreon. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to have to take that out. Really, you, Disney? I want that name, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's going to be the ruin They're going to take the whole network down now I don't think Disney is that litigious I don't think it'll be a problem no. No, <laughs> They don't shut down daycares That have Disney characters on their walls No Shag. 
Hey, Rob, how you doing, buddy? Uh, yeah, or whatever. Uh, I couldn't help but notice that you skipped out on the uh, Rise of Skywalker review episode on uh, Ryan's Give Me Those Star Wars show. Yeah, yeah, I had to do a thing. I mean, I saw the movie. No, you've been pushing this theory for a long time. What are you talking about? You've been pushing this theory for a long time that Ray is a Skywalker, and you were a thousand percent wrong. <laughs> okay, and then right at the last moment, you skip out on the record. That's very interesting to me. So uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, I, I, what do you got to hide? What, what's going on? We don't have to do this publicly, do we? Can't we do this? Yeah, no, no, no. yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's yeah. The, look. <sighs> All right, all right. There's no good cop, bad cop here. This is all bad cop. (laughs) Fine, fine. Okay, so here's the deal, folks. From the moment I saw Force Awakens, I was convinced I had solved the clues and that Rey was clearly Rey Solo, the daughter of Han and Leia, and that somehow uh, she had grown up with Ben and she went to the Jedi Academy with Ben, and then when he slaughtered everyone, he took he didn't kill her, and this all came from the Force Visions, right? All, all, all Everything from the certain words that were said in that movie and the Force Visions, I put all this together, I was convinced that he took her he, she was the only one he didn't kill, took her from the Jedi Academy, threw her on Jakku, and then either him or Snoke used their mojo of dark evil force and made everyone forget she even existed. Oh. I not only suspected this, I knew this. I knew this to be a fact in my head. I cannot tell you how much the rest of us hated this theory, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I would not get off of it nope. since the day Force Awakens came out. And we have this private thread uh, for Fire and Water like business purposes to talk about you know the, the business of the organization <laughs> mostly, f- mostly mostly legal documents <laughs> right which i frequently derail to talk about ray solo and piss everybody off and uh I, I i stuck to my guns even a couple of days before the movie came out i said guys you know i am putting it out here again just want to say so that i can say i'm right or if i'm wrong i will freely admit i'm wrong so i i guess that's what, what i'm here doing uh it's sort of against my will freely admitting i was horribly wrong and an antagonistic dick to everyone about it at the same time. I, I very much became kind of like the dumb hall Gleason, Gleason character in Rise of the Skywalker, but I was like, I don't care about being right. I just need Shag to not be right. That's all I cared about. <laughs> and I was so convinced because the clues were there as far as I was concerned for Force Awakens. I felt like there were more clues in The Last Jedi. I was like, oh, okay. Ryan Johnson sat down with J.J. Abrams. They're on the same page and, you know, purposely Kylo is doing this misdirection. If you look at him, he's clearly lying when he says her parents are nobodies. Uh, anyway, and uh, they threw me for a complete loop. And I will say, like, I've sat here and thought about, like, hmm, did maybe they backpedal on this and she was supposed to be a solo and they changed her mind? No, I'm pretty sure she was a Palpatine from the beginning and I just didn't see the clues properly. And actually, I'm okay with that. I was glad because my jaw was scraping the bottom of the sticky movie theater floor when they revealed she was a Palpatine. And, and the most painful insightful comment I have had to deal with through all of this is from Nathaniel Wayne of all people. What a surprise there. Right. uh, Right before the movie came out, when I was adamant that she was Ray Solo and I'm like, I'm like, look guys, get over it. Just deal with it. Right. Uh, He wrote, and I'm going to quote him here. He wrote this in our little group. He said, my biggest issue with the idea of Ray being a Skywalker of any stripe, Luke's daughter, Leia's daughter, et cetera, is that that if that was always the plan, they executed it very badly by stringing every, 
everybody along for three films in order to drop a reveal that everybody guessed since the first trailer for Force Awakens. <laughs> and when I read that, I was like, huh, he does have a point. It was pretty obvious, mm-hmm. right, from Force Awakens, she was supposed to be Leia, and that would make sense if she's not. Uh, so, uh, well done, um, and misdirecting us, J- Mr. J.J. Abrams, and uh, screw you, Nathaniel, for uh, making me realize I was wrong. So, ah, uh, I, I breathe such a sigh of relief in the theater when I realized you were wrong. So. <laughs> I can relax now. I don't, I got I don't even so many texts that night of people just going, "Who hadn't seen the movie yet?" They're just like, "Were you right? Were you right? Were you right?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Go see the movie." You know, I was, I was like, it. "She could be the daughter of anyone, just not Ray." So she could be Ray Akbar for all I care. She's not. She's Ray Baby Yoda. That's right. <laughs> exactly. It's all like Ray Amarhead. Whatever. <laughs> I'll take anything. Just not the daughter of Luke or Han or Leia. I just couldn't deal with that. So now that you've whew. beaten that confession out of me, can I go, please? Uh, no, we still have some Earth 2 Aquaman uh, to talk about. You're breaking up. I'm going through a tunnel. (laughs) Hello, listeners. This is a reminder that this particular podcast is sponsored by the fact that Shag, who has insisted for years that Ray would turn out to have Skywalker lineage, which he may try and bend over the course of this conversation to be all he said was that she was a Skywalker, and at the end she declares herself such... That isn't what he claimed. He claimed she had the lineage, and she didn't, which means Shag was wrong. It is important that you remember that at all times, forevermore. And together, we shall laugh.